This is week four of our unworthy sermon series or teaching series here at the bridge. We're beginning this year of 2022 um, talking about the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus uh, laid out in Luke chapter 10 to give us some insight into uh, when we fall short and we're looking to uh, allow us as individuals to know that as we fall short because Romans tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God we have all sinned but there is a pathway for us to come out and be separate and to be God's holy people whom he desires to use in his kingdom on this planet. So I'm going to read this Luke chapter 10 story again so that it gets ingrained in our hearts and in our minds as the bridge that uh, we'll look into some other individuals today. We've uh, been going through several of them, looking at them. But let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25, starting in verse 25. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say, and how do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength, and all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man laying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him laying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. God, I pray that all of us sitting here today, that we would clear our mind and we would allow you to speak into our heart. And God, that you would give us clear insight on how to become agents of change. 
that we would be set apart and the world would know us as a different group of people by our actions and by our deeds. That they wouldn't know us for our opinions, but they would know that we are the ones that are out in the community serving because that's what you've required us to do. God, I pray that you would empower and strengthen every person in this room to accept the message and to act on it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So just like the past weeks that we've looked in, in, into this story and looking for individuals and we're uh, looking into the insights of their lives and what they were doing. This week, uh, we're going to pick up in the story where that it says that there was a priest that walked by, looked at the individual, and went to the other side of the road and continued on his journey. And we're also going to look at the second person in the story that walked by and it was a temple assistant so when we hear this story and we see this priest walk by and this temple assistant or in some versions of the Bible it says the Levite who was God's one of the tri 12 tribes of Israel they were assistants they were workers there and they walked by at least the second one stopped and looked. But the worrisome part of this is that they didn't put actions to their words. We can have theology, we can have a belief system, we can have core values, we can have all these things as a church, but if we fall short in our actions, the world is going to know. So as I'm looking through these, I want to say this word, which is not a very pleasant word or a word to describe what someone in these positions should be, but the word I could think of is a scoundrel. So basically, if this priest, which in today's terms, this would be something in uh, the world of Judaism in, in, in the nation of Israel back 2,000 years ago in Jesus' time, this would be in our world what we consider today as a pastor or somebody in leadership at the church. And this pastor, the priest that walked by and seen this person in need, I'm sure that in all of his attire that he would dress up in because the Old Testament told him what clothes to wear and, and how to act in the church service. I'm sure he had that down pat. I'm sure that he had his phylacteries and I'm sure that he could quote scripture and I'm sure he could uh, go into the temple, the holy place in Jerusalem and I'm sure he could act out in that arena his faith. But the sad part of this story is that he become a scoundrel whenever he was walking from Jerusalem, the place, the holy city, and walking down to Jericho. And as he was traveling along that road and he found this individual that had been beaten, that had been mobbed, 
that had been left for dead, and he looked at him, and he walked on by and went even to the other side of the road. So he even took extra steps to make sure he didn't come close to this individual, this poor, beaten person. And as I thought about that, and I want to place myself into this scripture and place myself into this text so that I can look at my life and I can dig into my life and say, is that me? Is that who I am? Because if Jesus is telling this story, he's telling it with a purpose. And the purpose is to cause us to look at ourselves and say, which one of these people am I? So I'm the pastor of a church. And it's easy to act out my faith when I'm standing on this platform. It's easy to describe to you scripture and text and imply what Jesus is trying to teach us when I'm here. But what am I doing when I'm out there on the street? Do I become a different person? Do I act in a different way? Would I say something outside of these walls that I wouldn't say here? Jesus wants us to be the same in here as out there. Can somebody say amen? He's teaching us in this text, be who you are inside the temple and outside the temple. If we've seen somebody sick and afflicted and laying, the, uh, lame out here in our hallway as you walked in this morning, none of us here would walk by and, and not lift a hand to, to help them. We would all engage and make sure that they had a pathway into this room, wouldn't we? So the situation shouldn't change when we see somebody out in our community that's in trouble, that's in need, that's afflicted, that society has cast out or left aside. We should help them just the same as we would help somebody else here. Because it's all God's temple. His temple isn't just a church house. His temple is the world today. So everywhere you go, everywhere my foot shall trod, I should have according to the scripture in Ephesians that tells us about uh, the attire that we should have on as Christians, that we should have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, then my feet should be representing peace in the community as Christians. As a pastor, I have to be out there in the community with my name on the line because I'm representing God in all that I do. So they can't just be that they'll go back and watch these videos and say, well, here's what he did when he was standing on the platform at the church. But when I seen him out in the community, I saw him doing this. The Bible says that judgment should begin at the household of God. This is the place where judgment should begin. And the judgment is of our own lives. We're responsible for our actions. Leslie says often that, you know, we judge others according to their actions, but we judge ourselves according to our intentions. So if I intend to do something good, but I don't do it, I'll say, well, I intended to do that, and that was a good thought. But then if somebody else does us wrong or says they'll do something and don't do it, we'll judge them according to their actions, not their intentions. I think the church is guilty of that as a whole. I'm talking the church, the global church. And sure, 
there's seven billion people on the planet today and a two point something billion of them are Christians. Are all of us living out the actions and deeds that Jesus asked us to do to be servants amongst the world? The world is watching. What are we doing? So in church leadership, the pastor is the people, um, according to Timothy, that Paul is writing to Timothy or Titus, he's telling them how to set up a church, and there's many in church leadership. So it's not just the, the priest here is not just symbolic of one person or the uh, in singular, but I think it's a little bit more plural that also Dusty and Albie are responsible in the community. In church leadership, we have a leadership board here at the church, and I, I think that Ryan, you and Elizabeth are responsible in the community in this segment of what we're looking at. People's watching our lives. I think it even falls down to the nursery teachers over here. I think it even goes to the children's church workers back there. Simeon Kelsey, I believe it goes also in the youth group that you're coming and you're saying, yeah, but I'm just a helper. Yeah, but you're in leadership. And in leadership is responsibility. And eyes are upon us. So we have to be super careful in how we're living out this gospel and this faith that we're trying to live. I think all of our church leadership needs to know that God is not impressed with our titles. He's asking us to be the agent for kindness, for grace, and mercy to the hurting world that we're living in. Jesus taught that the least and the greatest are two different people and the least would be first. He said the first would be last and the last would be first. So leadership is not about position. It's about responsibility. And this is challenging me. This text is challenging me. And I want to challenge us as leadership in this room. Be who God has called us to be. Let's exemplify kindness and grace and mercy to the community in which we're living. Who is our neighbor? It's everybody we come into contact with. The purpose of this story that Jesus told was to prove who is my neighbor. Your job site is your neighbor. Your grocery store is your neighbor. Every person that you interact with is your neighbor. But the second part of this, the other scoundrel that we're going to talk about today, is the scoundrel of the temple assistant and the Levite. This is the person that's not in a leadership position, but they attend and they work and they make sure that things are done. So in this scenario, I think this scoundrel is the layperson in the church. It's a term that's thrown out there and it may be a little bit old-fashioned. Some churches call them parishioners. I'm just going to call it you. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you. I think he's talking to you. 
So if we want to use this text and look into it to say, who am I in this story? This is a good place where everybody falls into it. Even though I'm in leadership, I'm still just one of you. We're all a you in this story. So this second scoundrel is a church attendee, is a temple assistant. And I wrote this down that the church isn't a spectator arena. It isn't just a place where we come to see what other people are saying or other people are doing or just to come to check off a weekly task. Jesus left the church different than what the first Old Testament criteria went by. And he said everybody should be involved. Everybody is not going to have a title, but everybody has responsibility. Every person in this room, I think you're responsible for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think you're responsible for the community to see and know, well, that person goes to the bridge. That person is somebody that's a churchy person. Not that we're to be somebody that the world would see us and look at us, that we're offensive in the way we interact with them, but we would love them with the kindness and mercy that Jesus showed. Because in this story, this is a person, though, that also out in the community was one that didn't understand who his neighbor was. He had been taught in the temple. I think he had heard scriptures. I think he had heard verses. I think he had all the knowledge that he needed to have. But whenever he come out in the community and he's traveling along that same road that the priest walked down, and as he's walking through in the community, he walks by and he sees this person beaten, left for dead. But at least it says that he had compassion and walked over and looked the priest made sure he stayed on the other side of the road. At least the parishioner, you, had enough in you to walk over and look and say, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to look into what's going on here. But it says he also passed by. How many times do we fall short as Christians of what God intends for us to do? Whenever he brings you by a situation or close to a situation, are you at least aware enough in that moment not just to look at it, but to actually do something about it? So as a church in God's kingdom and in this kingdom that we're existing known as the church, Jesus says the kingdom is nigh unto thee. Jesus is, is telling us that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is something that will be in us. That's who we are. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we are now part of a kingdom. And that kingdom is God's. He is our king. Revelation says Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is whom we're serving. So we're to be those agents of change. So as a church, this is not a spectator arena, even in our congregation. It, find a place to serve. There's all kinds of places to serve. There's many parts of our ministry that, that here at the bridge that you can be involved in. We always need more people in all these positions. We're constantly looking for people to step up and serve. There's plenty of places. Get involved. Get engaged. And the main thing is get to serving others. Don't come in here with an arena type, I'm going to come in as a spectator and see what everybody else is doing. Get involved. 
Whenever a ministry that we go out, and even if it's the youth group going out and going and doing youth group live during the summer, you can go too. Teenagers are inspired when some adults show up and help them out. Sometimes they don't like their parents there. Amen. <laughs> but that'll be okay. They'll put up with you every now and then. Just don't show up every week and overlord them. It is their time, right, Albie? It's their safe place, Albie calls it, that they can be who they are without being burdened by a parent. It gives them a free night. So these two individuals that we're looking at were people with a lot of knowledge of Scripture. These were people with a lot of understanding because all of the aspects of their life revolved around the temple in Jerusalem. They were very churchy people. And even in the area where they was living, yes, it was still the time of the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't birthed until Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for our sins. Jesus, when he was alive, the entire time he was alive, he was under the Old Testament law. The New Covenant was birthed upon his death, burial, and resurrection. So when Jesus is telling this story, Jesus was living in an Old Testament world. They were both commissioned in the Old Testament to care for their neighbor. They probably heard these verses that I'm getting ready to read you, but did they apply them? Did they actually put actions or feet to what they knew they were supposed to do? Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 11 says, Poor persons will never disappear from the earth. That's why I'm giving you this command. You must open your hand generously to your fellow Israelites, to the needy among you, and to the poor who live with you in your land. You see, we can read that verse, but do we apply that verse? Do we live out that verse in our actions, in our words, in our belief system? Jesus didn't come to tear down the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the Old Testament. So this story that we're reading about this Good Samaritan story, Jesus is trying to tell them, who is my neighbor? That's the, the lawyer's question is, who is my neighbor? I don't know who my neighbor is. So he's basically saying, yes, I know what Deuteronomy 15, 11 says. Poor people will never disappear from the earth. How many know some poor people? We know poor people, right? People that doesn't have a lot of earthly goods. They'll never, never disappear from the face of the earth. There's always going to be poor people around. Should we look down upon them with disdain as Christians and say, well, if they're in poverty, that must mean that they're not deserving of God's favor? Let's never be a church that looks upon somebody according to how much they're worth or how much they have. Amen? It doesn't matter if they pull in the parking lot and their truck is rattling like Dusty's with the muffler falling off of it, or they pull in with a brand new ride. Amen. Albie won't even ride with him when he pull, drives in his truck. She, 
She'll say, I'll drive to Tahoe. Go ahead and go on down, Dusty. Go early. And the thing is, you can't get Dusty to even let you help him fix it. But So if anybody's got a good welder that wants to help Dusty put the muffler back on his truck, it's been hanging for about three years now. <laughs> he doesn't like accepting help too much, does he, Albie? He's, he's not one of them ones that will let you help him. Everybody say, poor Dusty. Poor Dusty has to put up with Albie. Poor Dusty has to have a muffler falling off his truck. Poor Dusty. Poor people will never disappear from the face of the earth. They're always going to be here. In society, it's just the way it is. There's unfair advantages. But what this story is teaching us is how am I going to look upon somebody that don't have as much as me. And God said, this is through Moses in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 15. That's why I'm giving you this command. You see, we look at the Ten Commandments, and we can name those. But there's other commandments too. There's over 600 listed in the Old Testament commandments from God of how we should interact in our society and in our world. The thing is, how am I going to apply them? It's pretty easy to not kill. Hopefully. <laughs> it's pretty easy not to steal. Amen. Don't covet. Right? The same commandments, we go through those. But here's another commandment from God. This is why I'm giving you this command. Everybody say commandment. You didn't sound very convincing. Say commandment means a mandate. We understand that. Okay, let's say mandate. Everybody say mandate. That's not a date of two men. That's a mandate, okay? So, you must open your hand generously to your fellow Israelites. To the needy among you and the poor who live with you in your land. Is this our action or is this our words? Is this something we'll read and say, yeah, I believe that? But whenever we see somebody in need, are we there to help, to lend the helping hand? The priest didn't. The church attendee didn't. Somebody else had to come along and fill that void. Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 4 says, You shall not... See your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. So it's not just about helping the person with their personal needs, but also even their material goods that they have. So I can't go by and see my neighbor Falling in a ditch, I have to help him as an individual, but I also got to be aware, according to this, to his possessions. Somebody needs to fix Dusty's exhaust. An ox or a donkey in this story is something that says you've got to look out for their material goods as well. And this is hard to swallow. This is a hard pill to swallow as a Christian that where God's putting a commandment on me 
that I'm responsible for my neighbor's barn, that I'm responsible for my neighbor's gutters. Because whenever I see a widow or somebody poor or somebody that can't do it for their own self, I'm responsible as a Christian to go over and clean their gutters when they can't get on a ladder. Can somebody say amen? This is the Christian church that we should be living in. A church that's out there acting out. And it could be the worst uh, human possible in your mind saying, well, they're a sinner. They're a no good for nothing. I know how they've lived. I know what all they've done through their whole life. And I, I don't care if their gutters fall off. Jesus is telling us, you're responsible. Point your finger at your neighbor and say, you. Point it at them. Kids, you can do this too. Point, here's your chance to point. Point it and say, you. Everybody here do this. I want you to point to somebody. Everybody point at somebody. Say, you are responsible. It's God's word. Who's my neighbor? Anybody in need. A few years ago, I heard a, a guy tell me, who, who do I, how do I know who I need to help? And he told me this. He said, it's anybody that you wouldn't trade places with. Who, who should I help? Anybody you wouldn't trade places with. That's who God is calling us to help because if he brings you by it, he's bringing you by it to be his agents of change to show grace and mercy and kindness to individuals that cannot do it for themselves. I thank God for a benevolent church known as the bridge that we've set aside monies here at the church. Every offering we put aside a certain percentage into a certain account known as the benevolence fund that whenever somebody in our community is in need that we've got resources available, ready, setting on weight to help them. Why? Because that's what the church is supposed to be. It's who he's telling us to be. A few years ago, I got a phone call one day, and, and I couldn't help. I was in Ashland. It was, it was somebody in need in our community, and I couldn't get there. I couldn't, I couldn't be on the front line. I couldn't get that close to them that day. They were having a hard time. They were struggling. Downtrodden. Didn't have a tire for their car. And they had to go to some doctor's office visits, but they couldn't even get there because the tire was flat on their car and they had put their little spare on there, the little bitty one, you know what I'm talking about? And even it went bad. So even their backup was gone and done. I could not get there. I was in Ashland. So I began to ponder and think, well, what can I do? I could have just said, well, no, I, we can't do that. I'm in Ashland today, sorry. I began to ponder and think. Well, somebody around there today, who, who can I think of? And, and I remember Joe Don was off at the time, and I was like, I, I, I called Joe Don. I said, can, can you help this individual out? They need a wheel and a tire. So we began to call around, didn't we, Joe Don? We, we called through some junkyards and, and got it all together and called uh, Mike Clark and different ones and trying to find a wheel for this individual. I called down at Tire World and said, hey, do you guys have this size tire? Yes, we've got one. Found the wheel, found the tire. Joe Don went and helped him. So sometimes your resource isn't just you yourself fixing everybody's problems. It's you thinking about and applying who else is with me in this journey. What if we all together would help change the world that we're living in? And we would quit trying to do it as individuals 
And we would do it collectively as a group because we're all capable of something. Proverbs 19.17 says in the Old Testament, Those who are gracious to the poor lend to the Lord, and the Lord will fully repay them. So, Joe Don, you know it's coming back, don't you? Every time we help somebody else, I know this, that I'm storing up my future blessings. Every time I would go by somebody and I look at somebody that's beaten down, that the world is left laying on the side of the road, and I lend, I stretch out my hand, and I make a way for them that didn't, where they didn't see any way out of their situation, and I become an agent of change, guess what? I'm storing up my future blessings that I'm going to come in a place at some point in the future where I'm going to have a need, and if I've done good to others, guess what? I can expect God to turn that around and bring it right back into my lap. So we as individuals, as we do these deeds, know this. God is keeping record. He will not leave us destitute if we don't leave others destitute. He will make sure you're taken care of. He loves his kids. That's one of the things that I remember most about Gartha. In her pastoring and all the things and all the training I ever took with Sister Gartha that helped me begin in ministry. She didn't have to do that. I would spend hours sitting and listening to her about leadership and church leadership and how to function and all those things. And she'd, say, she'd look at me and she'd say, Ben, you know, God loves his kids. And I'm thinking, I'm not a kid. I'm a grown-up. I'm 22 years old. I'm an adult. How many knows we need to listen to some of those with some gray hair and some wisdom? Amen. We're all just a bunch of kids is what we are. God loves his kids. Proverbs 22.9 says, Happy are the generous people because they give some of their food to the poor. When you take out of your cupboard and give to those in need that are hungry, that don't have anything to eat, God is keeping record. The problem in this story is the two scoundrels, the priest and the assistant, or in our terms, the pastor and me, they couldn't determine who God's word would describe to be their neighbor. They knew these verses in the Old Testament, but they couldn't put them into application of what they was walking in. Make the text of the Bible, your boots. Make it your shoes. Because he is asking us to live out his word. Don't just go out there and beat them over the head with the Bible. Beat them over the head with love. Beat them over the head with generosity. Beat them over the head with compassion. And let's watch and see if we would stop doing it our way and begin to do it his way. It will turn the world on its head because it's what the world understands is those things. They don't need us beating them up with scripture and saying, Well, I know you're living like this and you're a no good sinner. So are we. We're all unworthy of God's goodness. We're all unworthy of His mercy. But guess what? He's merciful to us even though we're not worthy. He makes us worthy by the blood of His Son, Jesus. Acts 20 in the New Testament said, In everything I've shown you, that by working hard we must help the weak. 
In this way, we remember the Lord's Jesus' words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Philippians 2.4 says, Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. James, Jesus' very own brother, he said, My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, Go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In this same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Faith without works is dead. Our Christian shirts, the bridge, without action, is dead. 1 John 3.17 says, But if someone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but refuses to help, how can the love of God dwell in that person? If we see somebody in need and do not help, how can we say, I have the love of God in me? I'm ready. I'm anxious. I'm inspired by this story of the Good Samaritan to be a better person. We're all unworthy, but God counts us worthy to be in his kingdom. He counts you worthy to be his kids. No matter what you've done, maybe you've backslidden, maybe you've fallen short, maybe you're like this priest, maybe you're like this Levite, and you've walked the other way when you've seen somebody in need. God is asking us today, change that. Let's change that. Let's be the action church. Let's be the church that makes a difference in our world. Won't you bow your head? Close your eyes with me if you will. I want everybody here, if you would, just to pray a very simple prayer today. And I want you just to, to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today through this message? How does this apply to me? Because I'm praying as your pastor that he will bring to remembrance some things. Maybe, maybe you've been noticing when you're driving to work or maybe when you're going to the store that you've seen somebody's home or, or something that you can help change. And you just drove by and you didn't stop. You recognized it. You understood it. You knew that scripture told you to help. But you've just been too busy. The priest and Levite was in a, in a hurry on their way to Jericho from Jerusalem. But they were supposed to stop and help this person in need. But they walked by.
about you, but I'm glad Jesus didn't walk by me. I'm glad that he reached down with those nail-pierced hands and lifted me out of the sin and the affliction that I was in. I want to be a Christian, which means Christ-like. I want to help those in need. I want to help those struggling. I want to help my neighbor. Nobody looking around, everybody, eyes closed, head bowed. Is anybody here today that says the Holy Spirit is dealing with me and he's asking me to be a change agent? Amen. Lift those hands if that's you. He's asking you to be a change agent, to be a person of action. Amen. Thank you for those hands. Amen. 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 Father, I pray that you would encourage, that you would inspire that you would embolden us to be your change agents in this world. God, that we would help those in need, that you would open our eyes to be able to see, and Lord, that we wouldn't just look and walk on by, but God, you would allow us to stop and be in the moment to help those in need. God, for this community that we're living in, God, I pray that you would just open up the eyes of our church, that we could see the needs and we could meet those needs. And Lord, that you would help us to all the resources that we would need to be able to be able to fulfill the mission that you've set us on as a church. And God, that individuals in this room that's watching online, Lord, that will will hear this message this week as, as they listen to a podcast. God, I pray today that you would just enlighten us, open our eyes, make clear, give us clear vision, God. Give us the power to affect change in our world to leave it a better place. Let us be your representatives, your ambassadors to this world. That we will see the need and we'll step up and help fill it. Help the bridge, the people, the leadership, every person feel the responsibility that you're laying on our shoulders, Jesus. That we have neighbors and they have needs. And we are part of the answer. Through you, through your power, through your mercy, through your kindness, through your strength, let us show it. Give us grace, God, to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray.